0: hello mamas Laura here and today we are chatting all about gestational diabetes enjoy hey mama I'm
1: sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes it's time for you to guide you through let's take some time for you it's pregnancy with fizzy.
0: Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Laura podcast. Today we are kicking off with episode four in the Pregnancy Nutrition series, discussing all about the topic of gestational diabetes. Now, this is episode four of our five-part pregnancy nutrition series with the wonderful Larissa Telfer, who is an accredited practicing dietitian and diabetes educator. Don't forget, we have already released the first three episodes in this series, which cover the specific nutrients needed for each individual trimester of pregnancy, safe fish and caffeine consumption, what foods to avoid during pregnancy, pregnancy cravings and healthy gestational weight gain. So make sure you go and have a listen to all of those episodes before you dive into today's. There is so much amazing content coming up in this Pregnancy Nutrition Series, so if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Pregnancy with Laura podcast so that you don't miss out. Coming up in this Pregnancy Nutrition Series, we'll be chatting about snack ideas for labor and the best ways to nourish the postpartum body. We also have a bonus sixth episode exclusively available to members inside the Pregnancy Posse where Larissa answers all of your questions around breastfeeding nutrition and baby-led weaning. So we cover keto diets, fasting, breastfeeding probiotics, extra calories and nutrients needed while breastfeeding, and ways that you may be able to boost your own milk supply, Remember this entire podcast series and all our other podcast series along with any exclusive member only content is live right now inside the Pregnancy Posse. So if you'd love to access all the bonus content and listen to or watch this entire podcast series right now rather than waiting for all future episodes to come out, then please do check out the Pregnancy Posse today. I have taken my years of experience as a women's health physiotherapist and made this information accessible to every wonderful woman online inside the Pregnancy Posse. When you join the Posse, I will guide you week by week through your pregnancy with safe weekly workouts tailored to your specific week of pregnancy. I also do a weekly Q&A session where I answer questions from our amazing Posse members. There is also a lovely community forum where Posse members all support each other along with an extensive resources library helping you prepare for birth, improve your pelvic floor strength and manage any aches or pains that you might have. I'd love to help you have a healthy, active, pain-free pregnancy. So just head over to thepregnancyposse.com to see what The Pregnancy Posse is all about and to trial it for seven days. Now, let's get into episode four of our five-part pregnancy nutrition series. You are going to love today's chat with Larissa as we jump into the ins and outs of gestational diabetes. Enjoy. A really
1: common thing, or not super common, but... I'd actually love to know the stats on it. Gestational diabetes. So we know mm. that um, probably you'll know someone that has it if you don't have it yourself, but it is something that I, I see a lot of women mm. managing these days but who don't really understand much about it or how to manage it very well. Unfortunately, there's a lot of um, support within the hospital mm. system, it seems, these days. But could you give us the download on what is gestational diabetes and why women may get it during their pregnancy?
2: Yeah. Yep. This is kind of my jam, so to speak. So I'm also a diabetes educator. So I'm working with women with gestational diabetes every week and, and seeing I've seen hundreds of women go through with gestational diabetes. So, and it is becoming more and more common. Um, so I think the, the latest stats are that it um, impacts around 10% of pregnancies in Australia. So wow. it's not uncommon. Mm. most people have known of someone that's had gestational diabetes people aren't often aware of it until or that they're at risk of it until that it happens
1: mm.
2: so the reason gestational diabetes occurs is it is driven by the growth hormones that the placenta is producing in pregnancy So these growth hormones trigger or lead to something that we call insulin resistance, which is when our body doesn't, um, I guess, utilize the insulin that our uh, pancreas is producing as effectively. So um, in a normal pregnancy, um, our body's actually requiring two to three times more insulin by the third trimester than when we're not pregnant. And interestingly, once the placentas out those insulin requirements just drop straight back down to what they are when you're not pregnant so it's really um, quite impressive the impact those growth hormones have that the placenta is producing on uh, how our body uses insulin and how much insulin we're needing Mm, That's amazing. Mm. We're needing insulin to help regulate our blood sugar levels during pregnancy and if for some women they're not able to produce enough insulin to counteract that resistance and they therefore end up with higher blood sugar levels and this is when we tend to see gestational diabetes diagnosed. So... Um, there is a few, I guess, risks associated for women with gestational diabetes, but I always like to emphasise that if we manage the gestational diabetes and um, we maintain those blood sugar levels, you know, what we're aiming for in that healthy range, the risk of those things happening is reduced. So some of those risks, and I think the most common one is having a large baby. So I think that's one of the most common things when people think of gestational diabetes, it means you're going to have a large baby.
1: Mm.
2: And the reason for this is our blood glucose levels during pregnancy, our baby's actually exposed to those blood glucose levels throughout the pregnancy. So if the baby's sitting in a a little environment with lots of glucose floating around um, in the bloodstream, it goes, oh, beauty, there's lots more energy here. I'm going to put down more fat in preparation for, for after I'm born. And they then leads to high birth weight babies, or you sometimes hear this referred to as macrosomia. Yeah, mm. and as you know, having a, I guess a high birth weight baby can lead to difficulties in birth as well. So, mm. um, and also a higher likelihood of having a cesarean section as well.
1: And is there something about um, the baby's blood sugar levels after birth as well mm. that can be problematic?
2: That's correct. Yeah, so. It's often a bit confusing, actually. So babies that are born um, to mums with gestational diabetes are actually at risk of low blood sugar levels after birth, Mm. um, which is different because in pregnancy, it's the high blood sugar levels that cause the issues. Mm. And the reason for this is um, when the baby's sitting inside the womb, if it's experiencing high blood sugar levels, its little pancreas actually produces more insulin. And then after it comes out into the world, it's got more insulin floating around in its bloodstream um, without that high blood glucose environment, which means it's then at risk of low blood sugar levels, or we call this hypoglycemia.
1: Mm, That makes a lot of sense. And I know that's why it's recommended for women, if they can, to antenatally express some colostrum um, in case their their baby does have issues with low blood sugar after birth. But like you were saying, going back to what you were saying at the start, this does not mean if you have gestational diabetes, these things will happen because if you do control it well, Mm. um, you should be mitigating Mm. the risk of this all happening, correct? Absolutely. But it's just something to be mindful of. And that's, I guess the motivation to make sure that your gestational diabetes is managed really well because these are the risks on the other side. So how would a woman know she has gestational diabetes? What is the testing procedures these days in Australia?
2: Yeah, so in Australia, the I guess gold standard for diagnosis of gestational diabetes is an oral glucose tolerance test. Um, which is that horrible glucose drink that <laughs> no woman enjoys having, um, and there's actually three um, blood sugar levels are completed as part of that. So there's one um, fasting before you've had that glucose load, and then one hour and two hours after that glucose load.
1: And what and stage is that usually done at? What so, gestation?
2: Yeah, routine sort of 26 to 28 weeks for women who are at higher risk. Of gestational diabetes, they will often have an oral glucose tolerance test earlier in their pregnancy. And so, I think it's good to actually go over some of those risk factors and who mm. actually is at risk. Because I find many women that are don't actually realise that they're at higher risk of gestational diabetes until um, until they are pregnant.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that.
2: Yeah. So there is quite a few risk factors for why some women are more prone to gestational diabetes. Some of them are age. So as women get older, they are more risk of getting gestational diabetes, particularly over the age of 40. And this is just because the pancreas isn't quite as, I guess, able to keep up with that insulin resistance or produce that insulin to counteract that resistance in pregnancy. Certain ethnic backgrounds, we know that um, people from Polynesian, Indian, Middle Eastern, and, and Asian backgrounds are all more likely to have gestational diabetes. People that have a family history of type 2 diabetes, either a sibling or a parent, or I also find like um, women who might have a sister that's had gestational diabetes as well or mum had gestational diabetes um, are also more likely to have gestational diabetes. Those that um, are, I guess, overweight or have a high body weight um, prior to pregnancy... Um, but also excessive weight gain in earlier stages of pregnancy can also increase risk of gestational diabetes. Polycystic ovarian syndrome, this is associated with increased insulin resistance. So then we go, you know, we're starting off baseline with um, more insulin resistance and then we go into pregnancy, which then has a higher level of insulin resistance. Again, this can increase the risk of these women getting gestational diabetes. And some medications, so um, the main group of things like steroids and some antipsychotic medications also increase a woman 's risk of getting gestational diabetes yeah.
1: and let's say you are someone that knows you are at higher risk of mm. getting gestational diabetes. Is there anything you can do as such to prevent getting it, or is it more just being really conscious of managing it well if you if you do end up with it?
2: There is some things you can do with your lifestyle and like we talked about, you know, trying to aim for a healthy weight gain in pregnancy to help reduce the risk. However, a lot of women I see that have these risk factors, particularly if they've got two or three of these risk factors together, it is tricky to to completely mitigate that risk. Yeah. Mm So... Um, but certainly I find, and this is what I often explain to women, there's lots of things we don't have control of in pregnancy. So, you know, your family history, the hormone levels, all those things that the is doing you don't have control over. Um, but in terms of your lifestyle, what you're eating and your activity levels are things you do have to control over. So try and focus on those things you can control um, mm. because these will help with managing your gestational diabetes, and also potentially reducing your risk of developing diabetes and
1: mm. Yeah. I certainly know um, I've had a couple of women who are like super fit, super mm. healthy, just not the type of person, just mm. you know, looking, they're not overweight, they're not of those ethnicities you mentioned, they've not no family history and they come in so upset because they've just been diagnosed yes. with gestational diabetes and I always try to remind them, like, it's not your fault. Like, these things happen. It doesn't mean that, you know, you did something wrong. It's just, you know, you're in this small proportion of women that got GDM and uh, there's all these things you can do to manage. So let's say someone does come to see you. They're 28 weeks pregnant. They've just been diagnosed after their um, testing. And also, side note, for that test, because I wasted a whole heap of time, I went in there, fasted, sculled it because I thought that would be a fantastic idea threw it all up because (laughs) I had it far too fast and then you can't take the test you have to come back on another day so my my hot tip for that would be sip it very slowly do not scull your glucose drink because you may throw it all back up
2: (laughs) yeah and if you're concerned that that might be an issue talk to your doctor before you're having it because you can take a medication to help make sure you actually keep it down so if you've been quite unwell or you're really prone to vomiting, yes. um, that's another good tip as well. To that's a great idea. Yeah. Because mm, yeah. it's not know. much fun if you vomit it and then you've got to go back and do
1: it a week later. No. And it's just such a waste of time and you've fasted. Yes. You've gone
2: to all this effort to take time off. Yeah, horrible, and Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I tried to reason with the lady. I
1: said, I only vomited a little bit. <laughs> Was only a small vomit? She's like, it doesn't matter. Any vomit it's null and void you can't take the test now I was so upset
2: <laughs> yeah it's not, not a pleasant thing at all no <laughs> so uh, let's say
1: you have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes and I understand that this may be highly individual what's like mm-hmm. the general management plan for a woman with uh, diabetes
2: yeah so after you're diagnosed with gestational diabetes you'll generally be referred into sort of um we call it a diabetes team so it will involve seeing um generally an endocrinologist who's a diabetes specialist, um, a diabetes educator and a dietitian. So I guess the key things that will, um, I guess, is the first starting point is generally monitoring blood sugar levels. So um, women with gestational diabetes, we generally get them to monitor their blood sugar levels four times a day. So first thing in the morning and then either one or two hours after their three main meals. And that this just gives us a good picture of what the blood sugar levels are doing and it also allows us to monitor them as pregnancy progresses as well.
1: And is that a finger prick?
2: It is, yeah. Yep. yeah. So um, like a little finger prick um, and a BGL monitor with your strips. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you generally need to do that four times a day and most of the time till the end of pregnancy. I guess the insulin requirements and blood glucose levels actually continue to increase and change after you've been diagnosed with gestational diabetes. So we do need to really make sure we're monitoring those blood sugar levels as each week of the pregnancy progresses because we know that those growth hormones continue to increase. So um, we need to see what the impact is on those blood sugar levels. And then in terms of, I guess, lifestyle and food and eating, um, a lot of the uh, recommendations are, You know, based on healthy eating and we want to aim for a steady intake of carbohydrates throughout the day, regular meals and snacks to help stabilize the blood sugar levels throughout the day. Many women with gestational diabetes will get them to monitor their portions of carbohydrate as well to help them, I guess, make sure they are spreading that carbohydrate load across their meals and snacks throughout the day but also making sure they're still getting enough nutrition for the pregnancy as well. So Mm. the actual amount of carb and and how that looks is quite different from person to person and, and that's why it's pretty routine to see a dietitian as part of gestational diabetes to go over that. Mm, Yes, definitely.
1: And that would be plan A is lifestyle management. And actually, while we're here, could we touch on, we know that exercise is important part of managing your diabetes. Could you explain how exercise and
2: insulin work and why exercise is so important? Mm. So we know exercise is really effective at counteracting that insulin resistance. So after exercise, it actually improves how our body utilizes the insulin that our pancreas is producing. It actually improves the insulin sensitivity.
1: Mm, okay.
2: And I find that it can make a really big difference. Like, So for example, if someone has quite a large lunch, you know, they've got a special occasion on or something, if you can get out for even like a 20 minute walk in that time before you're then doing that check. Um, It really improves how your body utilises that insulin and uses up some of that energy from that large meal you've had and makes quite a big difference in terms of the blood glucose levels when you then go to do that check two hours Mm. down the track. It is a really important aspect of that gestational diabetes Mm. management. Yes,
1: definitely. And I know a lot of my Pregnancy Posse members sign up to the program because mm. the workouts, um, they're 10 to 15 minutes long and they are really effective at helping to stabilize those levels in conjunction mm. yeah, with a really healthy, um, stable diet as well. So that's great to know. So you're managing your diet and you're exercising well, and you're checking your blood sugars regularly to make sure you're, you're on track. So let's say If that's working, you would just continue like that throughout the rest of your pregnancy, I imagine. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. And if it's not working, what's like plan B and plan C for women?
2: So plan B, if we're not able to get those blood sugar levels uh, in the ranges that we're looking for for pregnancy is medication. Most of the time this will involve insulin which is an injection, which a lot of people are quite scared about, the thought of mm. having to do an insulin injection. And there is also a tablet medication called metformin that can be used as well in some instances. Mm. Um, but certainly the gold standard is insulin Mm. And I think that the thing that's important to get across into with insulin is a lot of people visualise like a syringe and a vial and, <laughs> you know, having to give themselves a really big syringe of insulin. But the devices that we do use for insulin injections in pregnancy are quite small. The needles are very fine and the majority of women come back to us and say that it hurts less than actually doing their finger prick. So it's not, uh, the majority of women certainly find it not as overwhelming as what their initial impression is. But and that's a discussion with your team as well and, and your medical um, doctors and things like that if you get to that point. Um, mm. But it's certainly uh, not uncommon that women will require some insulin injections just to top up their own body's mm. insulin. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's really good. And obviously, you're working a lot with women with diabetes. I'm curious yeah. to know what seems to be the thing that confuses people the most. What what sort of the biggest barrier or challenge women tend to have around managing their own diabetes do
2: you do you find there's a common theme in terms of food and eating I think probably one of the most common misconceptions with diabetes is that it's only sweet foods Mm -hmm. or sugary foods that actually impact the blood sugar levels Mm. Um, but it's actually your total like overall carbohydrate intake that impacts your blood sugar levels Mm. The amount of carbohydrate and also the quality of carbohydrate really does have quite a big impact on what your blood sugar levels do after that. So I know that when I work through this with women and we go through, you know, what sort of foods we suggest and, and some guidance on portions that's best for them, they're often really surprised once they start looking at labels or foods that they'd thought, you know, potentially were really healthy and they're surprised to see the impact that those foods actually do have on their blood sugar levels. So, mm. um, I Have you got some
1: um, good examples of like maybe just one or two things that tend to catch people out, like that are higher in carbs than they probably realise?
2: One of the ones I think that is common is like things like granolas. So mm. granolas really healthy, but a lot of them, particularly some of the commercial ones, are baked with like lots of honey and maple syrup and you know they're quite sweet Mm. and when you put that on top of you know other carbohydrate foods that you have that with like some banana and yogurt and then you have the granola and you put all those sources of carb together it actually can end up being quite a large carbohydrate load in one hit Mm.
1: Um,
2: yeah that's probably one of the one of the most common ones that I find that we're working through yeah yeah
1: that's really interesting and that's probably a really good point because when you hear granola I think Mm. it's associated it with being a healthier food yeah. you know, than Cocoa Pops <laughs> but, yeah. um, but sometimes there are a lot of hidden carbs and sweetness in these products that we do need to be mindful of. I was yeah. just thinking about a woman I used to work with who had um, type 1 diabetes mm. and I don't know if this is a myth, this is why I thought I would bust it out. Is it true that if you have uh, sugary food but it's combined with fatty content that it doesn't spike your blood sugars as much as those without the fat content
2: yes that's actually correct yeah Mm, so protein has the same impact with your carbohydrate food often uh with gestational diabetes i'm talking to women about making sure they're having a good source of protein at their main meals as well with Mm. their carbohydrate because that actually helps to stabilize the blood sugar level response after that meal
1: yeah very interesting
2: A common meal I find is like lunch, like a lot of people will have, um, you know, maybe some rice crackers or a sandwich or something sort of, you know, carb on the go type meal that doesn't always have a good source of protein with it. Um, And if you can include a source of protein with that, it actually really helps to stabilize your blood sugar levels through the afternoon yeah
1: mm, yeah, that's really interesting mm. I never knew if it was one of those things that people were just yeah. making up or whether it was a legitimate fact but that's yeah really yeah.
2: Cool. So, yeah. Uh, yeah
1: that's really um yeah again I think you have a really clear way of discuss obviously this is your your bread and mm. butter but, um, of discussing GDM and helping women to really then like okay yeah. I've got this because I can see how it would be very overwhelming and confusing mm. and never know what you can put into your mouth and what you can't. So I think that's a really good summary. And, again, exercise and healthy eating is plan A. So um, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to start jabbing yourself with insulin. That's, That's like if things don't work out down the track.
0: Hey, mamas, Laura here. I really hoped you loved that episode. I always found the concept of sugars and insulin and how this whole mechanism works inside a pregnant body to be very confusing. So I hope that today helped you understand more about exactly what gestational diabetes is and the current best management practices for it. If you'd like to learn more from Larissa, you can find her on Instagram at prenatal underscore dietitian. And I'd also love to hear from you over on my socials at Physiolaura if you've had gestational diabetes before. And let me know your favorite learnings from this episode. In the last episode of this Pregnancy Nutrition series, we will be chatting with Larissa about fuel and snack ideas for labor and postpartum nutrition. And if you haven't already, just subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so that you don't miss our upcoming episodes in this wonderful series. If you love today's episode and you want to consume all the episodes all at once without waiting, including our bonus episode, you can find this entire podcast series along with all our other podcast series right now inside the Pregnancy Posse. For most series of the podcast, we do record exclusive bonus content for Pregnancy Posse members, and in the bonus member-only episode for this series, Larissa answers members' questions about breastfeeding nutrition and baby-led weaning. So we'll chat about extra nutrients and calories that you'll need when breastfeeding, whether keto diets or fasting diets are a good option after birth, breastfeeding probiotics, and so much more. Inside the Pregnancy Posse, you will also find weekly guided pregnancy workouts and extensive resources library on things like birth preparation, pelvic floor exercises, managing pelvic pain, and so much more. Plus, we have a wonderful community forum and weekly Q&A sessions with myself. I would love to help you have a wonderful pregnancy, birth, and postnatal experience. So just visit thepregnancyposse.com to see what the Pregnancy Posse is all about. I will catch you soon for episode five, the final episode in this five-part pregnancy nutrition series where we'll be covering snack ideas for labor and the best nutrition guidelines for your postpartum healing. Until then, mamas, sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes and enjoy the incredible journey that is pregnancy.